calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Welcome to the serialized audiobook Nocturnal by number one New York Times bestselling author Scott Sigler, performed by Phil Giganti. This novel contains adult situations, violence, and is meant for mature audiences. Nocturnal is available in print, ebook, and unabridged ad free audiobook. For links to purchase any version, visit slash nocturnal. Chapter 10 Aggie James, Duckies, and Bunnies. Aggie James pulled the dirty sleeping bag tighter around his body. Even the two cardboard boxes underneath him couldn't keep away the ground's chill. He'd wedged himself behind a dumpster that blocked at least some of the light wind. But San Francisco's night mist permeated his clothes, saturated every breath he drew into his lungs, even soaked into the sleeping bag he'd been so lucky to find. The sleeping bag was red, with duckies and bunnies on it. He'd found it draped over a trash can not too far from here. He felt the cold, the dampness, but those were distant just faint echoes of something that might concern him. Weather didn't matter, because he had scored. Scored big. And it was good shit, too. He'd felt the horse kick in before he'd even pulled the syringe out of his arm. This was his favorite sleeping spot, in the back doorway of some old furniture store on Fern Street, just off Van Ness. They called it a street, but it was an alley. No one really bothered him here. A numbing warmth spread all over his body, even down to his toenails. Man, even down to his toenails. So it was cold out. So what? Aggie was warm in the way he needed to be warm. He heard a light thump, then a heavier rattle, like something had landed on the dumpster. Pierre, you retard. Try to be quiet. You shut up. The first voice sounded raspy, like sandpaper on rough wood. The second rang deep, deep and slow. The sounds echoed through Aggie's head. He hoped these guys would just pass on by. Sleep was coming whether he wanted it or not. Damn, but this was some good shit. This him? The sandpaper voice. Uh-huh, said a third voice. This one sounded high-pitched. We gotta clean him up, but for sure he's a won't-be. The sound of someone sniffing, and that sound was close. When Aggie heard it, he felt a cool trickle of air across his cheek. Was someone smelling him? Aggie tried to open his eyes. They cracked, just a little. He saw a blurry image of a kid's head, 
maybe a teenager? The teenager smiled. Aggie's eyes slid shut, returning him to the delicious darkness. Had he dropped a tab? Maybe he had after he shot up, then forgot about it. Had to be something. Horse had never made him hallucinate before. Well, maybe a little, but not like that. Had to be acid. Only acid could have made him see that teenager with big black eyes, skin as purple as grape juice, and a smiling mouth full of big fucking shark teeth. Just say no to hallucinations. Thank you very much. I've been watching him, said the high-pitched voice. He looks thick said the deep voice. Something about that voice, something wet and slurry. It reminded Aggie of Sylvester, the cat from Looney Tunes, the way he'd spit and slobber while working out thuffering thuckatash. The guy sounded like he had a tongue that just didn't know its place. He's not sick, said High Pitch. He looks sick. Why? You think he's sick? I don't know, said the sandpaper voice. High Pitch sounded offended. He's not sick, he's just stoned. We can clean him up. He better not be sick. The last one you picked must have had the flu. I shit chocolate milk for a week. I said I was sorry about that. Sandpaper voice sighed. Ah, <sighs> whatever. Pierre, pick him up. We need to get back. Aggie felt strong arms slide under him, lift him effortlessly. I'm staying out tonight. We have lots of time before dawn. I got to do my thing. The sandpaper voice again. Chomper, you need to come back with us. No, the visions, I, I can sense him. Yeah, so can we. I told you not to talk about it. You want Firstborn to beat you again. No, I don't want that again. But those assholes hurt him. I can feel it. Him. Whoever it was. He sounded important. I have someone watching over him. You stay away. Or you could bring the monster down on him. A pause. Aggie felt like he weighed all of five pounds. Maybe even five negative pounds. Because you don't weigh anything if you float. I'll stay away. But I'm not going home. Not yet. Just don't draw attention. And stay away from the king. Hillary said he's not ready yet. You get us caught. Firstborn will kill us. Pierre, let's go, we're due back. Okay, Sly. Aggie felt like he was falling, only for a second. Then he went up, so fast, herky-jerky, pop, 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 like someone taking the stairs three at a time. Yet the arms holding him felt gentle, like the guy carrying him was being careful, much like you would be careful carrying a dozen eggs you just bought from the store. Aggie struggled to open his eyes again. He was on a rooftop. He could see Van Ness far below, his attention drawn to a green Starbucks sign. Not that a Starbucks sign was much of a landmark, 
Those things were everywhere. Then the world lurched under him, up, then down, then up, then down. Despite the motion, the horse, that goddamn fine horse, finally caught up with him. Aggie James let himself slide into the warmth and the darkness, into the one place where the memories didn't haunt him. Chapter 11 The Belt But I feel sick. Roberta Deprovdichuk crossed her arms and stared. Get up, boy! You go to school! The very word school did, in fact, make Rex feel sick. Sick inside, a cold sensation that made him want to crawl into a hole and hide forever. Honest, I really don't feel good. She rolled her eyes. You think I was born yesterday? You're not sick. Those kids pick on you because you're obnoxious. You leave them alone, and they'll leave you alone. Get up and go to school, and no skipping. You skip school like some good-for-nothing burnout. Sit here and draw all day. I let you put your stupid pictures up on the walls, don't I? Now get up! She grabbed the blankets and yanked them off. He had a horrid, frozen moment of exposure, of his boner pushing his underwear out in a little tent. Rex slammed his body into a fetal position, hands over his underwear-clad privates. You filthy boy! Did you touch it? Still curled up, he shook his head. Rex, did you touch yourself? No. He heard the familiar hiss of leather sliding through denim belt loops. He closed his eyes tight in anticipation of the pain to come. Roberta, I didn't touch it. Honest, I... The crack of leather on his back cut his words short. You little liar! A second crack, this time on his legs. Despite the stinging pain, he stayed curled up. Rex knew better than to cry out, or to try and get away. I told you never to be like the other dirty boys, didn't I? Crack. His shoulder lit up. I'm sorry. I won't do it ever again. Crack. On the thin underwear fabric covering his ass. That one made him lurch, twitch, his body screaming at him to run but he fought himself back into a tight ball. If he ran or resisted, it would only get worse. There, Roberta said. I'm helping you, Rex. You need to learn these things. If you're not ready for school in five minutes, you get more. You hear me talking to you? She walked out, slamming the door behind her. The pain faded a little, but the cold feeling in his chest would not leave. He still had to go to school. Rex sat up on the bed. His boner had gone away. Roberta had always told him boners were bad, and the lingering stings on his back, his legs, his ass, told him she was right. He dreamed again, and this time he remembered more. He'd been watching Alex Panos, waiting for a chance to kill Alex. And that was what made Rex feel funny. Not girls. Not even boys. The stalking gave him the boner. Hunting Alex felt exciting, arousing. But the dream also carried a dark fear that someone was watching Rex, waiting in the darkness to hurt him. 
Dream Rex had turned away from Alex. Instead, Rex and his friends had grabbed some random homeless guy. Grabbed him. Taken him. But taken him where? Rex couldn't remember. He stood. That fear, it sat in his stomach like a block of ice. It wouldn't go away. He picked his jeans up off the floor. As he slid them on, he looked over at his desk, at his latest drawing of Alex Panos and the bullies. The drawing wasn't finished. Maybe he could finish it in history class. Rex had read the whole textbook the first week of school and got 100% on every test. Mr. Garthus didn't care if Rex did any work, as long as he kept quiet. No time to finish the full drawing, but Rex felt an urge to sketch that symbol again. He had to sketch it. Right now. When his pencil completed the symbol's final half-circle, the lingering dream fear finally eased away. Rex's more familiar, ever-present anxiety remained, however. Roberta was wrong. It didn't matter if he minded his own business or not. The bullies would come for him no matter what he did. Rex shivered. He wanted to skip school, but he didn't dare. Whatever beating the bullies had for him, it couldn't match what Roberta would do if she switched from the belt to the paddle. Rex rubbed his new welts. He finished dressing. He gathered his books, then slid them, his pencils, and his art pad into his bag. Maybe today would be better. Chapter 12 The Drawing Brian opened the Buick's door, moved Pookie's pile of folders, then sat. Pooks, you ever clean up this crap-ass car? Pookie leaned back, affected an expression of hurt. My goodness, did someone wake up on the wrong side of the bed? Brian shut the door. Pookie pulled into traffic. I had some messed up dreams, Brian said. Couldn't sleep for shit. That could explain why you look like the wet side of a half-dry dog turd. Thanks. Don't mention it. But seriously, folks, you do look awful. And trim that beard, man. You're starting to look like a gay hipster. I've no room for such nonsense in my life. Brian's chest pain had faded from sharpness to a dull, nagging ache, like a jammed finger or a knot in his spine that refused to crack. He dug his right fist into his sternum and rubbed it around. Pookie looked over. Heartburn? Something like that. Not sleeping, pale as a ghost, and chest pains to boot, Pookie said. If we weren't meeting Chief Zhao, I'd drive you back to your apartment and tell you to take a sick day. Chief Zhao would already have the preliminary overview from the shooting review board. A full investigation was underway, standard procedure. But the early overview would determine if Brian stayed on normal duty or was relegated to a desk until the final report came in. There was also the option that Zhao could just suspend him altogether. For most cops, that wouldn't be a worry. Most cops, however, hadn't just killed their fifth human being. I'll be okay, Brian said, which was a lie. His fever had grown during the night. He felt hot all over. He was still a little dizzy, congested, and on top of that, the body aches were even worse. His knees and elbows, his wrists and ankles... All his joints felt like they were filled with gravel. His muscles throbbed with an entirely different feeling, as if someone had spent hours pummeling him with a meat tenderizer. Don't breathe on me, Pookie said. You get me sick, I'm kicking you in the nuts. Tell me about these messed up dreams. 
Anything involving either a naughty cheerleader, detention with a milfalicious assistant principal, or a shy yet stacked nun questioning her life choices? Brian laughed a short, choppy thing that drew a raspy cough. <laughs> I wish. Weren't those kind of dreams. Nightmares. Brian nodded. Dreamed I was with a couple other guys. I don't know who they were. We were hunting this kid as he walked down Van Ness. And at the same time, something was hunting us. Something real bad, but I never saw it. Then we were going to do something to this old bum. I was still scared out of my gourd when I woke up. I had to draw something from the dream. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Brian pulled the sheet of paper out of his pocket, opened it, and passed it to Pookie. Pookie looked at the image, an unfinished triangle with a circle slicing through the lines and under the points, a smaller circle in the center. Wow, Pookie said. Your father and I are so proud, honey. We'll put it right on the fridge next to your report card. What is it? No idea. And what happened after you drew it? Brian shrugged. The fear went away. So did most of the dream, but I think I remember where the dream took place. You recognize the spot? Uh-huh. Pretty sure it was Van Ness and Fern. Crazy. You want to check it out? Brian shook his head. We have to get to the chief's office. We've got 15 minutes to spare, Pookie said. Come on, this could be good material for our cop show. I can see the log line now. An overstressed rebel cop can't escape nightmares of the hitman that got away. I didn't dream about a hitman. Dramatic license, Pookie said. Come on, Bri Bri, this could be like a whole episode for me. Or even a three episode mini arc, you in? Brian remembered the crawling sense of creeping death, the fear that had gripped his stomach even as he descended on the bum. But he didn't feel that fear anymore. And besides, it was just a dream. <sighs> sure, he said. Let's check it out. Pookie changed lanes again. He left angry honks in his wake. And, as usual, he really didn't seem to care. Chapter 13 Van Ness and Fern Brian looked around the alley. So damn familiar. Maybe he'd been here before. Had to have been here before. He couldn't know this place from a dream. Pookie lifted the lid of a beat-up blue dumpster and peeked inside. Seeing nothing of interest, he shut the lid, brushed off his hands, and adjusted his sunglasses. He kept looking around the alley. So you saw a bum and some kid wearing crimson and gold? Not sure, Brian said. The kid could have been crimson and gold. It was a dream, Pooks. Yeah, but this is cool. Episode is practically writing itself. It's rare for a dreamer to think of a specific spot and not have there be some kind of connection. And you know this because of your doctorate in dreamology? Discovery Channel, asshole, Pookie said. 
There's more to life than reality TV. Pookie pulled out his cell phone and checked the time. All right, we better get rolling. Can't be late for your chit-chat with Zhao. Maybe the brother Steve already tracked down Jojo. The Steves find Abramowitz's killer, and we go back on nights and can grab the Maloney case away from polyester rich. Lonza had made good on Brian's demand for a name. That name? Joseph Jojo Lombardi, another of the guys who had come out from New Jersey. Brian and Pookie had immediately turned that info over to the brothers Steve. Was that Abramowitz's actual killer? Brian couldn't say, but it was a lot more information than they'd had 24 hours ago. Let's get out of here, Brian said. My stomach is a mess. If I have to smell that dumpster anymore, I'm going to blow chunks. They walked out of the alley back to the Buick. Pooks, you need to get with reality. Zhao won't give us the Maloney case. The hell she won't. Polyester Rich and Zhao go way back. I heard they both made Inspector about the same time. Pookie got in and started the car. Mark my words, young Brian Clouser. You and I will get this case. And when we do, we will nail Paul Maloney's murderer. I simply won't stand for pea-freak vigilantes in my town. Brian slid into the passenger seat. He looked back to the dumpster and saw something he'd missed. Underneath the dumpster. Was that a blanket? A red blanket? With pictures of brown bunnies and yellow duckies? A little bird? As Pookie drove away, the nightmare's cold echo blossomed anew in Brian's memory. Brian took a breath, tried to forget about the blanket. He hadn't really dreamed about a red blanket with duckies and bunnies. He was just reverse imprinting or something. For now, he had more important things to worry about. Things like Chief Zhao's take on the shooting review board. But maybe when that was done, Brian could find a quiet place to draw that weird picture again and make the cold feeling go away. Chapter 14 Boyko Rex ran. They were faster than him, but he ran anyway hoping against hope that he could find a way out or a place to hide. Sometimes they got him, sometimes they didn't. Every now and then he got lucky, made it to a street with lots of pedestrian traffic, saw a cop car or something else that would make his constant pursuers break off and wait for another chance. Today was not a lucky day. They'd been waiting for him after school. They knew which path he took to walk home. Sometimes he'd go fifteen or twenty blocks out of his way, taking different random streets, but this time he just wanted to get back to his room. That fat, ugly meth head April Sanchez had seen his drawing. April bought her drugs from Alex. She was rich. Rex hated her. She'd recognized the people in the drawing and said she was going to tell Alex. Rex had known instantly that he was in major trouble. April wanted to be Alex's girlfriend. Something like the drawing was a chance to get Alex's attention. Rex had spent the last hour of school terrified, waiting for the bell to ring so he could get home fast. He should have gone away from his house, to one of his many hiding places, even to his favorite park. But in his fear, he'd taken the direct route home. Big mistake. He'd made it two blocks when he saw them, all four of them, on the corner of Francisco and Van Ness. Their crimson gold and white clothing stood out bright and clean in the afternoon sun. Rex instantly turned and ran back down Van Ness, past the football field, toward Aquatic Park. He should have run somewhere with more people, 
but he'd just run away. They chased him. They laughed. The four boys, always the same four. Jay Parlar, Isaac Moses, Oscar Woody, and the worst of them all, Alex Panos. They caught him just past the parking lot that funneled the two divided three-car lanes of Van Ness Avenue into a normal two-lane road. An arm wrapped hard around his shoulders. A hand clamped over his mouth. The boys packed in close around him, carrying him. Rex tried to yell for help, but the hand was too tight. The bay was off to his right, the greenery sloping up to Fort Mason on his left, and no one was around. They carried him to the left, into a shady spot, and threw him down on a dirt patch. Rex tried to scramble up, but they surrounded him. Someone kicked him in the side, and he fell. They dragged him behind a utility van parked beneath an overhanging tree, out of sight from the mostly unused street. He wound up on his back. Someone hit him in the face, once, twice, three times. His nose buzzed with a numb, confusing pain. Tears filled his eyes, making everything look shimmery and fluid. He was dumb enough to call out for help. Then something hit him in the stomach, and all wind left his body. Someone sat on his chest, pinning him to the ground. I heard you were drawing fag pictures of me, you fucking faggot. Rex didn't need to see. He knew that voice. Alex Panos. A deep voice, far deeper than it should be for a sophomore in high school. But still it cracked on the first syllable of drawing. Rex tried to talk, to apologize, but he couldn't pull in enough air to speak. Hey, here's the drawing. Jay Parlar's voice. <laughs> Look at Alex. Hey, <laughs> I'm in it. Watching you get your ass kicked. Wow, I look totally scared. Gimme, Alex said. Rex blinked away tears. He could see again. Oscar Woody was the one on his chest. Oscar's curly, poofy black hair stuck out from beneath a white baseball cap with a gold-lined crimson BC on the front. Above Oscar, standing there looking down, Alex Panos. Alex with his movie star blonde hair and his big, strong body. A body that Rex would never have. Alex held an unfolded page from a sketch pad. He looked up. His eyes narrowed. He turned the drawing around so Rex could see it. Rex's drawings were getting pretty good. No mistaking that Alex was the boy in the drawing. The boy getting his arm cut off with a chainsaw held by a muscled version of Rex to Provdichuk. Alex smiled. So you think you can kill me, faggot? Rex shook his head, the back of his head grinding against dirt, twigs, and dried leaves. Jay peeked over Alex's shoulder. Sixteen years old and Jay already had a goatee, although it was as thin and red as the hair on his head. Seriously, Alex, it's a good drawing. Looks just like you. Jay, Alex said. Shut the fuck up. Jay's shoulders drooped. He seemed to suddenly shrink from a five-foot-ten stud to a five-foot-six weakling. Sorry, Alex, I didn't mean nothing. Alex's eyes never left Rex. Alex crumpled the paper, then tossed it aside. Boys, he said, hold his arm. Rex tried to scramble up, but Oscar was too heavy. Stay still, pussy, Oscar said. 
Someone grabbed Rex's right wrist and yanked it hard, painfully stretching his arm. Rex looked at this attacker, blue-eyed Isaac Moses, his strong hands locked on Rex's little forearm. Jay, Alex said, go grab those two chunks of wood. I want to try something. Rex finally managed a few words. I won't draw any more. It's too late for that, Alex said. He looked to his right. Yeah, those are the ones. Put a chunk under his elbow and the other one under his wrist. Rex felt something hard shoved under his elbow, raising it a few inches off the leaf-scattered dirt. He watched Jay slide a piece of wood under his wrist, then looked up at the surprised face of Isaac Moses, who had yet to release his hold on Rex's arm. Isaac's mouth was always turned down, and his nose seemed too small for his face. Oh man, don't do this, Isaac said. That's going to hurt him bad. Alex's smile faded. He looked hard at Isaac. Shut up and keep holding him, Alex said. If you don't, you're next. Isaac's mouth opened, perhaps to say something. Then he closed it and looked down. Alex took a step forward. His feet straddled Rex's elevated arm. Alex looked like a towering god, blonde hair hanging down, a few locks gleaming from the beams of late afternoon sun filtering through the tree's shade. I have to teach you a lesson, Rex. I have to teach you about pain. The tears flowed. Rex couldn't help it. You guys hurt me all the time. Alex's smile widened. Oh, them was just love taps, faggot. You probably even liked it. Now, now you get to learn about real pain. Alex weighed over 200 pounds. He was bigger than most of the teachers. He raised his leg knee high, letting his military boot hover above the center of Rex's forearm. Alex smiled, then stamped down hard. Rex heard a muffled crunch sound, then had the odd sensation of feeling his forearm grind into the dirt, while his wrist and elbow were still elevated a good two inches off the ground. Then came the pain. He looked before he cried out. His arm made a shallow V, an extra joint between his wrist and elbow. Oscar got off of Rex's chest. He stood there, black curls puffed out from under his hat. Oscar was part of the circle that surrounded Rex, the circle that blocked out what little sun filtered through the overhanging tree, the circle that cast the wounded boy in complete shadow. Tears streamed down Rex's cheeks, down his chin, washing through the blood that smeared his face. It hurt so bad. His arm, it bent where it wasn't supposed to bend. Alex put his foot on Rex's stomach. Tell anyone about this and you're dead, Alex said. I know a hundred places to hide a body in this city. You got me, you little faggot? Overwhelmed with pain, humiliation, and helplessness, Rex just cried. No one was coming to help him. No one ever would. He wanted to hurt them. He wanted to kill them. A size 14 boot kicked him hard in the ribs. I said, do you get me, Rex? Thoughts of hatred and revenge vanished 
replaced by the more powerful and ever-present fear. Yeah! Rex screamed, a mist of blood and tears flying off his lips. Yeah, I hear you! Alex lifted his big boot. Rex had time to close his eyes before the heel hit him in the face. You have been listening to Nocturnal by Scott Sigler, performed by Phil Giganti, produced by Empty Set Entertainment. The Nocturnal audiobook was directed and engineered by Corey Young. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.